Hello, and welcome to the Alt-Rock Podcast. Joining me on the other line is our dear friend, Dave Perry. Dave, how are you doing tonight? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Um, I'm really looking forward to catching up. A lot's happened. I think it's been it's been at least a couple months since we since we caught up podcast wise at least. Yeah, it's been um, it's been several months. I was I was realizing that like so I used to podcast on my own a lot more actively than I, I mean I don't really do it at all now. And I realized that the last like three or four conversations you and I have had is like chronicled one of the most important chapters of my life. So I just that's, feel that's like why we're doing it exactly exactly. So I'm 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 looking forward to this. Awesome. So in the meantime, my podcast has been renamed. We're now the Alt Rock Podcast. Just all encompassing, all music. And things are really taking off. So the last episode I recorded, third most listened to all time. So our our show's taking off. Just want to take an opportunity to thank the listeners out there and say hi to some new ones. Dave is a a favorite guest of the show. And we're excited to have him back on. So I want to hop right into it. Enough preamble. Dave, you have you've been on a boat. Uh, it's a ship. A boat I have to. I sorry. I have to correct ship. you. Oh, okay. I, I was corrected multiple times on the on the ship. <laughs> Don't call it a boat, motherfucker. It is not a boat. This vessel is a ship, and it deserves to be called that. And it is that, and only that. So since Lonely Island did, I'm on a boat. Like every seafaring vessel has become a boat. Exactly. Carnival strongly okay. disagrees with you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, ship. Yes. So. Can you just take us away on on uh, shiprocked? That was good. That was good. What what, what is uh, what was your role on on the ship? Um, First, so this is the fourth year that I've been on shiprocked, and um, in the previous years I've been there as a fan, and it's awesome. Like it's for people who don't know what it is, and there's other cruises like this. Rob is intimately familiar with the fact that there are music cruises out there. Uh, which I would encourage you to talk about. You probably have talked about it on the show, but yeah, I'm only um, familiar with canceled music cruises. <laughs> this is a not canceled music cruise. Um, that's really basically like all bands that you could hear on, like if you have Sirius XM, like Octane at any time, or like uh, Milwaukee radio stations aren't really a good example. Maybe JJO in Madison, um, but like modern hard rock, and sometimes it goes back to like early 2000s. But most of the lineup is like very current music and um it was a usually it's a five-day cruise this is the first year it's been a seven-day cruise with three stops but the, really the feature is that it's just music from like noon to one in the morning and then live band karaoke from like one in the morning until people are falling over drunk um and it's just on the ship all day overlapping like there's multiple stages outside inside and uh, i've just had such an amazing experience previously as a fan and like connecting with other people from that community. Um, it means a lot to a lot of the people, not that it doesn't mean a lot to me, but for a lot of people on that boat, it's the only vacation that they take all year. It's very expensive. And, um, you know, it's, they basically, as soon as the cruise ends, they start saving up for the next year. So like people go fucking hard on this, but there's this really cool, I've never seen like a fight on there. I've never seen drama. Like everyone loves every band everyone shows up and supports everyone. Everyone's buying merch. And so this year was cool because since the last time I've been on there, I've become a member of the band raw and become the drum tech for the band. Nothing more. And both bands in some iteration were on the ship. And yeah, so I went down to Tampa uh, about five days before the cruise started and we did a full pre-production thing in the practice facility that we were in. We were sharing it simultaneously with 
Nelly and the Beach Boys um, did not interact with them at all. It's kind of by design. They make sure that like everyone has their privacy, but there's a giant whiteboard when you walk in that says like, welcome Nelly and Beach Boys. Um, but yeah, we did um, uh, about five days of practice there and then um, yeah, went on the ship and basically I did like six hours of work and then got to enjoy a cruise for free um, for the rest of the time. So six hours of work a day or just no, six no, hours, of just work total? nothing more played twice. Once on, they were the first band to play. It's called the Sailway show. So it's the stage that's like the main stage that's outside. And that's a very cool slot to have. Cause that means no other music is happening at that time. And everyone, every fan and every band is all in this like amazing, like three balconies, almost three sixty wraparound. It's, it's super oh, high I energy saw some photos. Yeah. yeah incredible. It was, it was fucking very rad. cool setup. Um, you were, you were kind of keeping me in, in the, in the flow of things. You were sending me some, some images trying. as they're the Wi-Fi there is cool. absolutely yeah. garbage. I mean, it's a boat in the middle of the ocean, so I don't expect it to be amazing, but, um, it's a yeah, ship, so, Dave, it's right. It's <laughs> You're so, so correct. And then Sahaj Tikatin, the lead singer of raw was in the stowaways. The stowaways is a, um, rotating group of musicians from a huge assortment of uh, bands, both bands that are on the ship. So like Johnny, the lead singer of nothing more did a song with the stowaways, but then there's like the lead singer of Lamb of God was one of the stowaways, but Lamb of God was not on um, uh, the boat, the, 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 ship, the ship this year. So um, it's basically like a cover band, but it's like a whole, new, almost an entirely new lineup for every single song. And which is cool. People get really into that and they play music from all different genres and, and time periods. And so Sahaj did that. And then also did um, like a solo quasi acoustic with like a laptop and some backtrack support uh, in a smaller theater. And yeah, I think the original plan was that I was going to do something with him, but then just like time and distance didn't line up well. So he just did that solo. And I basically did my work with, nothing more and put on two shows and then just partied my fucking ass off for the next six days. And it was awesome. Just like connecting with so many genuinely great music fans, got to meet so many uh, bands and musicians that I really admire. I think a lot of good networking came out of that. And like, it's very strongly aligned with my ambitions for 2023 because, um, and I know this is something we're going to dig into, but like I plan on putting out a ton of music this year, but all of it is going to be singles and every single single is going to feature a much more prominent musician than me. It could be a singer, guitar player, drummer, whatever. <coughs> Excuse me. And the idea is that like that helps me basically get in front of their fans. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, also it's just super cool to, you know, collaborate with people that I really respect and it's going to be a combination of like very current musicians and i also have a roster of like some 90s people that i'm going to be reaching out to whether or not it ends up happening you know we'll see it'll be a matter of interest and money probably but um yeah it was cool i'm i'm very energized coming off the cruise about what 2023 holds for me musically so we haven't talked since you joined the Nothing More crew. Although in the meantime, I've listened to a multitude of podcasts you've been on, and I feel like I'm really <laughs> up to speed on things. Yeah. And I was going to ask you how difficult it was on Shiprock to navigate between like the work you have to do and the partying available, but it sounds like that wasn't an issue at all. So let, yeah. let's go back because I know like the like when you were on Nothing More on on dry land, like yeah. that was a very grueling schedule. So do you, do, I mean, what is free time like on a tour like that? Does it exist? 
I mean, did how we did talk? Did we talk out? when I got back from that tour? No, but you. Okay. I've listened to a few other. Okay. Like I, I feel like I maybe know the answer, but we haven't talked on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. So just to sure. set the stage, you were the drum tech for Nothing More. Yeah, drum tech. So my yeah, job okay. specifically with Nothing More. So normally a drum tech in the average band would just be like their job is all things drums, like making sure everything is transported correctly, unloaded from the truck, set up, tuned, sound check, all the microphones are correct placement, the drums themselves, every cymbal, every drum, the angle, the height, the, the seat, everything is exactly how the drummer likes it. And then, so get it set up for the drummer and the band. And then basically during the show, it's my job to like, if a cymbal cracks, I fucking run out there and swap that out or, you know, breaks a drum head or something. Um, <clears throat> Nothing more was like above and beyond one, because Ben, the drummer has an enormous drum set um, Two, it's heavily integrated with electronic, both pads, like for hitting with sticks. And then he has three different electronic pedals as well that trigger like different, like 808s and alternate kick type things. He also has um, a, an SBDX pad that, that he uses to start every single song that controls like the playback in everyone's ears. And then he also has like, electronic drum pads there that he uses in real time. And then all of that runs to an enormous uh, electronic unit that we call Bertha that has three laptops on it. That's handling all of the like vocal processing and backtracks um, uh, for the whole show. So basically drum tech for nothing more involves doing all things drums, including that huge setup. And then also managing these three laptops that basically, if those laptops go down, the show's fucked. Um, so it's, it was a lot. The tour I did with them and in this moment was like 46 shows. And that was coming off of two weeks. Like I, we, I did two weeks of touring with raw, like playing with them. And then I flew from Detroit where our last show was to Nashville to begin pre-production, which is essentially practice um, for nothing more the day after. So basically I was gone for almost three months uh, touring both as a performer and as a uh, crew member. And you grueling is the correct word. Like it was, I'm thankful for the experience. It was great. There was a lot of good shows, but a lot of, a lot of it just went wrong. Like Murphy's law was in full effect on this cruise or on the, on the tour for sure. Just in terms of like bus issues, um, COVID we hit a fucking bear, uh, in California <laughs> and not just like nudged it or something like for whatever reason, like a, a fucking brown bear was on the freeway in Sacramento, our semi that has all our gear on it, hit it at like 75 miles per hour, which did not end well for any participant in that. Was it um, cocaine bear? It was cocaine bear. So he was totally unfazed, but our truck exploded. <laughs> <laughs> that movie looks fucking insane. Yeah. Um, yeah, just like, I mean, for the band and the crew was kind of split between two buses. So I'm on the crew bus that also had sleep token was also on that bus. And it's a foreshadowing because you have a sleep token song on your playlist that we're going to be talking about in the future here. Um, we all had to piss into a solo cup and dump it down the sink for almost three weeks because like the economy of touring right now is so fucking crazy. Basically all these bands that didn't get to do shit for two years are all out touring right now. So basically everyone is touring right now, which makes, everything difficult and the scarcest resource is tour buses and qualified drivers to drive those. And, um, we had, so basically with tour buses, you basically just accept what you get. Like our, the bus that we had for about half the tour was like objectively terrible. And under normal circumstances, it would be like laughable. Like you should fucking scrap this bus. It's garbage, but it was literally that or nothing. Um, yeah. So it's just, 
to answer your question, ship rocked compared to that was a fucking walk in the park. Like it was different, like doing manual labor and setting shit up that needs to be precise on a cruise ship that is moving was a challenge for sure. But it was totally outweighed by the benefit of just being able to hang out on that boat, the fucking ship, um, you know, for a week and, and see old friends, make new ones, connect with musicians that I truly admire. And um, yeah, it was fucking awesome. Like it was a great experience. There, you know, there's yeah. the, there's the perception of these tours that like when, you know, you're done playing at whatever the band finishes at 11 or midnight that they're then out till the wee hours of the morning, you know, doing lines of Coke and, yep. and shots of Jack. Like how, how does that, I mean, that can't fit with reality because sometimes you got to be, you know, the bus has to be in at noon at the next location. I mean, yeah. so what is the reality versus kind of how it's perceived, I think, by a lot of people that are not in the industry. Right. So there's something called roadie Friday, which is basically the day before a day off. And it doesn't have to be Friday. So basically if we play three shows in a row and the third show is on Wednesday, Thursday is roadie Friday. It means that's our one day off and we're going to get fucking hammered on probably the night after you like we play that show on Thursday, trucks packed up by one in the morning and then we go fucking crazy. Even though that's like an existing construct within touring, I basically did that three times on tour and then I just couldn't recover in 36 hours to be a hundred percent by the next day. So I basically just stopped. It's interesting that like in my adult life, I've never been as consistently sober and as sleep regimented as I have been on tour, which is a very unexpected, complete opposite. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm sure there are bands. I mean, like Pantera is legendary for like their party antics. And there are a lot of bands out there that like live that lifestyle. But the reality is you're just going to be, this is a business and both from the crew perspective and certainly as the band perspective, like you're just going to do a better job, especially on a two month tour. Um, if you're focused on your health and your sleep and your diet and not partying. So I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, but in my universe and like the bands that I've gone out with so far, like, I mean, a lot of people are sober. There was definitely people that partied super fucking hard, but like it catches up to them and doing, you know, Manual labor with millions of dollars of equipment uh, the day after getting super hammered is not fun at all. Just wonder how, like, I think that mostly stems from like the seventies and like Led Zeppelin and just the idea of like a band, like trashing a hotel room and yeah, throwing a TV out the window. And And that shit, that's, that shit still does happen. And, and I'm sure that there are anomalies, but for the most part, I'm willing to bet that you could track a corresponding line with successful bands and their basically healthy living behaviors. And then conversely bands that are super focused on like sex, drugs and rock and roll. And then those guys probably fuck up. Some bands have had very public meltdowns like Creed and Kings of Leon come to mind, like where the singers couldn't finish the show because whatever they were on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, no one wants that. I mean, these people are like, What's interesting for me, and and I do hope to, I mean, this will be a good problem to have, but like my advertising agency is still like what keeps me afloat. And I'm not saying that that means I can like go out without consequence and it doesn't matter, but like being able to go on tour both as a band and as a crew member and not having to be super focused on like, this is my livelihood has made life a lot more enjoyable than I think it, it would be if that wasn't the case. Um, 
but still I, I take it super seriously and it's enough motivation to like not fuck around. Like I, I just, it's important to me to, to be healthy and do the best job possible. And it's not just about me and the band. Like crew is truly like a team. It's a family. Like if you're done with your shit, you're helping someone else out. There have been so many times during the show where like something, some degree of shit hits the fan and it's in the moment, like people fucking pulling together to make sure that the show doesn't stop. Um, and obviously you're just going to be better at that if you're sober. So, yeah. Thanks for ruining my almost famous dreams. Hey, I, I fully encourage you to go get super successful and then ram it into the fucking ground. Cause of your partying antics. It'll make good stories and you can go back to normal life after that. Just don't hurt yourself or anyone else. Other than that, go for it. Well, let's talk about Dave, the Dave, the artist. Oh my God. You, you have a new single out under fear of water. I do. Called pray for yourself. Correct. And I mean, we're talking 70,000 plus streams already. And the song just came out. Yeah. I guess seems like other than your DMX cover, this seems like you're hitting a new level of notoriety. However you want to describe it. I'll, I'll let you take the floor. Tell us about this single. Yeah. So yeah, it's called pray for yourself. Uh, I recorded it with, um, I recorded it at my home studio that I'm sitting in now, but then worked with Chris Mora out of San Antonio, who's worked with sons of Texas and upon a burning body and kingdom collapse, um, which are all very successful bands in in my genre. And, um, he was basically able to take my home recording using his technology, his skill set, his ear and take this song to a whole new level. And as I was explaining earlier, like my whole approach, like making an album is exhausting. Doing it by yourself is like insane, especially if there's no, like I would, I would create music even if there was no incentive and no one would ever hear it. It's still very fulfilling. But like the last album I put out in 2020 is 19 tracks. And like, I was like so burnt out by the time that that came out. And the reality is, is that like, I don't, I'm not an enormous artist. I don't have a record contract. I didn't collect a check at the end. Like, those songs are like, and this clothes. is like another, yeah. it's like having another full-time job on exactly. top of yeah. Yeah. your ad advertising agency and touring and yeah. teching. Exactly. It's like, yeah, yeah so you can imagine. I will be doing singles, but like a lot of singles all throughout the year. And I have so many things that are like in the works right now that I'm really excited about, as well as I'm going to Nashville on the 19th of February through the 1st of March and recording with Kyle Odell, who's recorded with seven dust and motionless and white and the shaman's harvest. And he's super, super talented dude. And this is my plan for the year. It's like work with really prominent producers, but a variety of them to get different sounds. Like everything will still be fear of water, but like tap into different elements that these producers bring to the table, do like three to five songs with each producer, release them as singles. And each single will feature prominent established performers from a variety of different bands. And as you mentioned with the the performance of pray for yourself so far, like um, having, so that song has Marcos from Il Nino is the lead, the lead singer does a, a vocal guest spot on there. And then Travis Montgomery from kill the lights. Half of that band is X bullet for my Valentine. And both of those bands have very strong followings. So when I have those guys, guest on my song and then it gets released on Spotify. Everyone who follows Il Nino and Kill the Lights gets notified that this new song came out. Um so that and then it's been getting put on playlists a lot, which is huge. Like a lot of people rely on playlists to get 
all of their music. Um, so it's the combination of like having those featured people to add like elevated visibility to the music. And then it also getting added to relevant playlists has been like really kicking ass. So like you said, the, the DMX cover has like 160,000 plays on it, but that's been up for almost four years. And this, uh, pray for yourself has been up for less than a month and it has 72,000 streams. And so I'm very optimistic about like what that means for the future, um, and the future music that I have coming out. Yeah, it's it's interesting just how much playlists have taken over why people listen to the music that they do. Yeah. Like I love going on Spotify and looking at what are the top ten tracks from this artist. Sure. And then usually you scroll down on Spotify and you go to the this is fill in the blank artist yeah. name. And it's yeah. like, oh, that's why that track's number three, because it's number three on the artist playlist. Right. And right. like it yeah, people really aren't going too much into albums anymore. And you see it all, I see this all the time, exactly the model that you're doing where it's, it's kind of a, a slow, steady drip of singles. And then maybe an album comes later that is basically just combining the singles that have come out prior to that. Yeah. And basically it'll be like a band will put out eight singles. And then like the next time you look at their Spotify channel, it's just an album of all eight singles. And be, especially because people aren't like going out and buying physical copies of it and people because of the kind of a la carte nature of streaming music like for most artists doing an album unless it's like a super concept thing that's intended to be listened front to back in this specific order like there's not a huge advantage to doing an album as opposed to like staying top of mind for all your existing fans and getting in front of new fans by doing like trickling out music throughout the year so that is the plan and it's going well so far I just had, I was going to get into this in the next segment, but it's, uh, it just segues too nicely. There's, there's one thing I was thinking about actually earlier today about playlists, as much as I like what you're describing, that is kind of the way everything's moving. There's definitely music that if that I loved from, you know, prior decades that I'm sure I would have skipped over in the streaming era. Yes. And the re I stuck with it because probably I bought the album and then you only back then you only had so much music to listen to. So I'm like, maybe the album didn't catch you at first or whatever, but like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to this thing 10 times through because I paid $20 for it. Damn it. And then it starts to slowly grow on you and like, Oh, I like this deep, deep cut. And I like this yeah. deep cut eventually becomes one of your favorite albums. I just wonder if any of that sort of thing happens anymore. I just think for you, I, it's a double-edged sword because I think you have to be so established to be incentivized to release music in an album format, knowing that there is a built-in fan base that will consume it in the intended way. In addition to other people who will still just listen to singles. Um, it, would you say it's fair to say for yourself that most of your favorite songs are like deep cuts, like not singles? At, at this point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that was always the model, right? Like the single you heard on the radio grabs you. And, but by the time I bought the CD, I would, rarely ever listen to that track that's on the radio and immediately skip over it on the CD. And that's a weird into... thing is that if, if <laughs> this is super counterintuitive, it's like, if the best song on the album is the single, it's a bad thing, but it's weird. Cause it's like the reason it's a single is to bring people. It's a very like almost oxymoronic type thing. Um, yeah, that's, I agree. But I mean, I, I'm sure we'll probably get into this too, but like a lot of our favorite songs might be like five, six, seven minute 
tracks that would never release on the radio. You were looking for something a little different. I don't think this is even true anymore because people, again, find music through playlists or yeah. different streaming platforms and things like that. But it was like being catchy and grabbing people's attention right away. Yeah. You might look for something like that for yeah. the lead single and then kind of get into, I don't know, more creative or songs that take more risks either with later singles or just let people discover them on the album. Yeah. So do you want to get into our playlist? Yeah, let's do it, man. All right, cool. So this is a segment that I hope becomes a recurring segment because I had a lot of fun. And one of my favorite things of, of each year is Spotify wrapped. Um, I know it's kind of become a meme now for people to complain about it. Or like, I don't want to see that. I, I take a completely different tact. Like, I know the bands I like, and I'm always looking for people to turn me on to new albums, new artists. I think it's a little bit more difficult than it was before. So I love looking at what people actually listen to. And the thing I love about rap too, is you can't hide from your streams, right? <laughs> you can say, this is my favorite band if you want to say cool, but there's just no hiding from, you know, the fact that, you know, track number seven for me was a country song and like, sure. I can't pretend it wasn't because yeah. Spotify is tracking all my movements. Before we proceed, um, would you say it's yeah. fair to say that like just in this day and age with internet culture and immediate gratification and everything, like can you think of anything that – so I'm thinking about like the ubiquity of Spotify rap. Like when it comes out, you know you're going to see it all over your, your news feeds and it's, you, you see it all over your news feeds because individuals love it. Like they're excited about that wrap-up which is why they share it. They wouldn't do that if they didn't like it yet. Collectively, you hear this feedback of like, Oh God, like this, this push. It's almost like the Nickelback effect. Like obviously yeah. a ton of people like it, but then you also hear this pushback. Can you think of anything that's just like objectively enjoyed has a hundred percent approval, maybe not a hundred percent, but just even just overwhelming majority, nothing is going to ever have a hundred percent, but I just feel like, it seems inevitable at this point that like when something has momentum behind it, backlash. like guaranteed, even if it's, there's nothing wrong. Like <laughs> there's nothing I, commercial you know, about Spotify wrapped. You don't, you're not forced to like sign up to see someone else's rap. It doesn't have any sort of political thing. It's not polarizing at all. It's literally just about your own music yet. There's this hatred towards it. And it just, it feels I like know, this applies line, to everything. There's a line I saw that just said, let people enjoy things. And that's, stayed with me because I see what you're talking a lot about in the TV world. We both love shows and, and following the industry and all that, but it's like, yeah. you know, when the game of Thrones finale, uh, rolls around you, I guarantee you see Facebook or Twitter posts being like, am I the only one who doesn't get it? Right. I just don't get why people like it. And then hundreds of replies, like I don't get it either. I, yeah. And it's like a badge of honor. Like, yeah, I've never even seen an episode of game yeah. of Thrones game of and what like game of what? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, Completely agree. Yes. Yeah. You saw the same thing with Ted Lasso. Like I was going to say like Ted Lasso had like universal acclaim and that, but the backlash always comes when people, I think people just get fed up hearing about something. Like I had to catch myself being like, I don't want, you know, I'm sick of people talking about Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso. Like they love him like he's their dad. But I'm, then at the end of the day, it's like, let him enjoy it. Just because I didn't particularly love the show. That's fine. I don't need to like spread my hate on the internet. There's enough of that. Agreed. Especially um, for something yeah. that is not rooted in anything uh, like objectively negative. If you don't like the show, that's fine. That doesn't make it objectively bad. And even if it was, if it's not harmful, 
like if, if there was like a resurgence of mind Kampf and a lot of people were like, Hey man, regardless of who the author is, like there's some really good points in this book. And then like, everyone's yeah. talking about Thanks. it. Like I would have a problem with that, but just like people liking a show about I soccer. See this. Like, God, it's a freaking next weekend. Uh, the Super Bowl halftime show always goes through the same thing. I think yep. it was, was it last year? They had like Dr. Dre and Eminem, yep. like yeah, all yeah. the old rappers, yep. like, yep. Uh, you know, the first eight minutes of it, I'm like, wow, this is just, everyone's loving this. And then the backlash comes like, yep. well, actually who needs these has-beens or whatever the case is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Let me enjoy my Spotify wrapped. I just, I, I, I don't understand that. It's an unfortunate thing. I hope we get, I don't even understand what tipping point we could get, get to where people are just like, you know what, if I don't like it, I'm going to just not say anything. Um, but I hope we do. Cause if we keep heading in this direction, it's fucking exhausting. But anyways, Spotify wrapped. <laughs> I'm definitely a fan. I think it's great. Yeah, I, I, I'm now my my mind is racing trying to come up with an example. It's like I dude, I don't. I honestly don't think that yeah. there is. Avatar um, two hits a billion dollars. You see, how are this movie about blue people? Like, it has no cultural renaissance. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I saw it. I didn't enjoy it. Like, it's I mean, it's not. I didn't. Did you see it? Yeah, yeah. Did you like it? I, I mean, I have a take on it. I, let's hear, I did let's hear that take. It, but my take is. I don't think I would have enjoyed it nearly as much like watching at home. I think Agreed. watching it in a crowded theater on a giant screen with the decibel level turned up to 200 and 3d glasses on like made the movie in the same way. I enjoy like those type of rides at Disney or universal studios, like sure. the augmented reality rides. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I looked at like the whole movie. I don't think yeah. that makes it a, I mean, if I watched it at home with any of that, without any of that stuff, like it's not a great movie, but I, I looked at it. I mean, roller coaster rides kind of definitely like the biggest movie cliche, but a thrill <laughs> ride at a, at a theme park is what I felt I, like I was on. So I liked that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I agree. It the trilogy, having not seen the other two parts of this new trilogy, it seems unnecessary. Um, the, the the main point is that like I didn't thoroughly enjoy it and I feel no need to go online and be like, you like this? What's it like to be a fucking idiot? Like I just just let people I know, like that's, what they like. like so I just, much of the internet. I, I I don't understand it. But I I my main thing is just that like how when did Avatar come out? Like early two thousands? Uh yeah. No, late. Well over late ten 2000s, years ago, right? Late two yeah. thousands, yeah. Ten years ago. Um, watch and maybe if I, maybe I would feel different if I was literally watching like side by side on two screens, which you never naturally would, but like visually it did not feel super different to me than the first one. And considering how technology advances, like I was expecting to go in there and have like my eyeballs fucking explode in my eye sockets. Like, and it's felt almost exactly like the first one. And then just from like a story, like from a movie standpoint, easily could have cut out an hour of that movie. No doubt. Did like, the first Avatar uh, blow your eyes out of their yeah. sockets? Oh, the, yeah. yeah I mean, yes. I mean, yeah. it was it was a super unique concept See, yeah. and done incredibly well. I think we've gotten to the point with movies until there's a major, some kind of like technological revolution where it's just going to be small incremental changes. I always point to another one of our favorite hobbies, video games. There, I, there hasn't been anything where I'm like, I can't believe this is happening in front of my eyes in 15 years. I can remember saying that over and over again, watching super Mario 64, yeah. like yeah, yeah, the yeah. leap from 2d to like 3d. I don't know if we'll ever make a leap like that again. Like resolution keeps improving and 
lighting effects keep improving, but there's never been like that level of jump again where I'm like, it's going to be when we get to the point, it's going to get be to where, where, where you can put on an Oculus and it is incredible. Like life, like 10 hours goes by and you don't even realize it. Like where it's, have you fucked around with any VR? Uh, yeah, very briefly, just a few of the Oculus Rift games. So clunky, like, so almost like comically not good, but uh, all all technology starts that way. Zach Morris cell phones and leading to, you know, this, um, I can see the future coming. That that is what, what it's going to be like console stuff is just like processing stuff. Like the, correct me if I'm wrong, but like a big thing from Xbox one Wait, what's the new, the new one's Xbox One, right? Xbox Series X. Xbox Series oh, wait. X. I don't know. I even have it. We, <laughs> they have the a big thing, gaming convention. On, a, right? big, a big evolution for them was the ability to switch from like one game to Netflix or one game to another game with no yeah. load time. Yeah. So that's the that, latest one is Series X. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just like a, a time consumption and like general user experience thing as opposed to like your ability to go from call of duty to destiny two with no delay does nothing to help you enjoy call of duty or destiny two no, more. No, it's more about like processing power and the whole thing working better logistically. But that like, that's not even in the same universe as like going from Mike Tyson's punch out on super Nintendo to super Mario on 64. So I, I really do think it is going to get, it needs to get to the point where Oculus or some other VR company nails it so hard and it's going to involve like haptic body suits and everything where like, okay, I get shot and you can like feel it in your chest. Like that's, that is the next jump. Everything between that and now is just going to be like cool games, but nothing truly revolutionary until we get there. So I hope I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I agree. Yeah. And a headset that's not like eight pounds, like oh it'll be God, like dude. the pair of glasses that you're wearing right now. Like, like I cannot well, believe it. Yeah. A perfect example of that I didn't, this didn't even occur to me, but like, so I'm, I have, I wear glasses and I can't see things that are far away. And I just assumed because this fucking unit is like not that much further away from my eyes than my glasses are on my face that like, I can just take my glasses off and enjoy this. Nope. Like you have to get specific prescription lenses for the inside of the Oculus to, do you wear like contacts or anything? Yeah. Contacts. Yeah. So like that, that, all of this shit needs to get figured out. It's so heavy. It generates heat. The battery isn't long. You need like to live in a warehouse to have enough space to like kind of do your shit. And it's just like the foundation is there for something really cool. Like this is the future, but like right now it sucks. Yeah, totally agree. What is the future for us is our playlist. Mm. So I have a little segment. Thanks. I've been working on it. We have a little segment here called Rate My Playlist. One of my favorite things I did a while back, Dave, you inspired this as I, this was like eight years ago. I don't expect to remember, but I sent you a song. I'm like, check this out. And you wrote like in real time, like on Facebook Messenger, like what you're experiencing. I just thought that was like really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But each song that I selected for mine, I told you to do the same. I selected for a little bit of different reason, and we'll get into that. Yep. Um, one was to like try to evangelize you to a band. One was just because I want to talk about storytelling and music. So each one just had like had a different a different little hook to it. Are you going to um, share this? Like, can listeners 
listen yeah, to our- Yeah, I'll okay. drop it. Okay. What I've right, been cool. doing is just dropping under Alt Rock Podcast. Like if you just plug that in in your Spotify search bar, there'll be a playlist that'll come up. Cool. And I'll call it uh, uh, Alt Rock Podcast Rate My Playlist. And you'll be gotcha. able to find our 10 songs on there. Cool. Nice. I like all that. the listeners. Nice. So you're the guest. So I'm going to start. Let's start with your play, your playlist. Does that sound good? So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. The playlist you selected for me. Yeah. So okay. there was no, you gave me no criteria, which is fine. I'm just saying like, it's, it's interesting creating a playlist I don't know about you, but like all of my playlists that I have for myself are all very specific to like a genre, a mood, an instrument focus, a performer, a decade, like whatever. So just being like, give me five songs and we'll talk about it in and of itself is an interesting challenge, which I'm not complaining about it. It's, it was interesting. And I think that the five songs I gave you is reflective of the vagueness of the, of the request. But fair? I, you know, as I was going through it, I'm glad at least for the first one that we did it this way, because each one I'm like, I want to know why, if I had told you, give me five nineties, deep cuts, you think I missed. Yeah. Then I kind of know, I already know each, you know, the reason you selected the song. I sure. like, I have no idea why you selected these five songs. Um, but I'm eager to find out why. Sure. Yeah. So, and we talked about this a little earlier too, about like, you, you know, sticking with an album and listening to it over and over again. So I did look up the lyrics for each one, but I only listened through once, maybe twice on some of them. Okay. Um, and I think like when we get to mine too, like there's a couple in particular, I'm like, you know, if you spend some time with this, I think it turns into something else. I do wish I looked up the lyrics for yours as I was going through them, because you have some kind of epically long, a few epically long songs on there. And there is some like really good storytelling. Right, we'll get there yeah. when we get yeah. to yours. But yeah, Maybe okay. they just felt epically long. <laughs> All, right. All right. This is why this is good. That's a great conversation starter. So yep. I'll go with my initial reaction and then, yep. and then I, I want to find out why cool. you chose it. Sure. So, okay. So the first song you had was Limp by Fiona Apple. Yes. Um, so my initial reaction is I had really only ever spent time with the debut album. Uh, so you'd not, you'd not heard this. I, it's one of those where I probably heard it back in the day. I've not, but not in, let's say the last 20 years. Okay. So, I love that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That, that was intended. That, that was my hope. So that's good. Yeah. Okay. Um, familiar with, I, I got re-familiar. I can't even say that word. Re-familiarized. <laughs> We're going to leave that in. That's all real here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, there's a, another great podcast, no free ads, but, uh, what, uh, there's a great podcast called, <laughs> um, 60 songs that define the nineties. Yes. And they did criminal by Fiona Apple, but the guy does like a deep dive into the whole catalog and all that. Um, so I loved like learning about how that first album came to be like how just really young she was and the yep. story behind criminal and all that. And then kind of the backlash to when the pawn drops, um, and just did not have the same commercial success or anything like that. But anyway, my, I, my initial reaction after listening one time through was I wrote, I really love the production on this song. Yes. Uh, there's a bunch of different instruments going on there. And it kind of starts out, um, I don't know what the right word would be, a little ominous in tone, um, but then a yes. great like chorus that you would expect from an alt-rock artist in the late 90s. And by the end of the song, a big fan. Um, 
So why, why did you choose the track? I did, I want to say I was familiar with three of the five artists you selected for me. Yeah. And I wound up liking four of the five songs. Cool. And this is one I really liked. Nice. Um, this is my favorite Fiona Apple song. Um, I want to start with the... She defies a lot of convention, especially for the time that she came out. Like, she, I think she's beautiful both aesthetically and artistically, but at, for like for the genre, and I don't even know if you can really put her in a specific genre, but just for like by Western music standards, she does not adhere to the ideal of beauty. She's, I don't. She kind of has this like heroin chic look about her and she almost looks like dirty all the time. Like if you watch the, the music video for criminal, you're like, you get a very good feel for like her vibe and it's couldn't be further from almost any other female performer from late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. Think, think of like Christina Aguilera videos yeah. and then yeah. imagine the opposite. That's what she's yeah. doing. And not even like, so that's pop music, but even something like I'm, I'm like even the lead singer of like Paramore is much more like, polished and like aesthetically pleased. I don't know. She's just someone that's like, I'm not saying that she looks like she hasn't showered in 10 days, but like she's very music first. Bohemian look. Yeah. Bohemian. That's good. I like that. I like that. So, so just her existence as a whole. Like she could star in rent. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Her existence as a whole kind of like is a fuck you. And I, I give, I don't know who her record label was at the time, but like props to them for not being like, we have to put you in like leather pants to be able to sell you like someone took a chance on her and it worked. And so, so she, let's just go with the genre of piano playing women. So like Vanessa Carlton or like a Michelle branch type person, Sarah McLaughlin. like yeah, Sarah McLaughlin, whatever, like this, she's her own like dark moody. And there's a huge leap from that first album to this. She works with two really interesting producers who there was some moderate commercial success to this album, but nothing like shadow boxer or criminal. And just to start off with like the producers she shows are, I think mainly from the jazz category, not pop. And, but let's just talk about the name. So like commonly it's called when the pawn, but the full name of the album is when the pawn hits the conflicts, he thinks like a King and what he knows throws the blows when he goes to the fight and he'll win the whole thing for he enters the ring. There's nobody to batter when your mind is in your might. So when you go solo, you hold your own hand and remember that depth is the greatest of heights. And if you know where you stand, then you know where you land. And if you fall, it won't matter. Cause you'll know that you're right. That's, it, it, That's when like it was released song title from the two thousands. Exactly. It is the longest record title in existence, according to this Wikipedia page. Um, so just that right off the bat, I'm just kind of like, it's different. It's a fuck you to convention. Um, limp. I like the, the message behind it. She has this line where it's like, when I think of it, my fingers turn to fists um, it's, has this like quiet intensity to it. Like, um, I would be intimidated to date Fiona Apple. Like, I feel like the song that I would get after I fuck things up in that relationship would just gut me. So I'm like, I would rather just avoid that. I think there's something, it is catchy. It's relatively short. Something that really stands out to me is that, and I would love your thoughts on Can you think of any other song like with such a 
it's not a band. It's Fiona Apple, right? Yep. The there's a drum solo. Like it's a, it's like a three and a half minute long song that like the feature thing in the middle, it's not a bridge. It's not a, you know, acapella thing. It's not a whatever. It's, it's a fucking like drums and percussion solo. Something about that is so cool to me. And, um, I don't know. There's just something like really interesting and unique about it. It has an intensity without being like quote heavy and it's different. It's a deep cut. It's from an album that was not commercially successful, but I think it's a much better album than her first album. That was her sort of like smash it. And yeah, yeah, this figured, was, uh, you like it critically acclaimed, but yeah, the sales fell off the map um, yep. from the first album. It did yep. win the, or got a nomination for best uh, Grammy nomination for best alternative album. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Great pick. Thank you. Great pick, Dave. All right. Uh, your second choice. Obviously, I, I'm familiar with Fiona Apple. I'm familiar with Duncan Sheik as well, okay. although I had not heard this song, Mr. Chess by yes. Duncan Sheik. Uh, this is another song that I liked. Um, I really like the melody, again, similar to, to Limp. Not that the songs are similar, but I enjoyed the melodic aspect of it. Uh, the only thing, and I'm just hoping you can clear this up for me, even after I went and looked up the lyrics, yeah. I do not know what the hell he's singing about. And I thought, like, is this like uh, a guy that he likes? Is that <laughs> what's going on here? Like, that was my best guess. So um, I'm, I'm doing some real it's time. Like literally about chess, and this is off the... No, it's definitely you know. not about chess. Um, so I believe, if I remember correctly... But I, I, I revere you as one of the like foremost Duncan Sheik experts and fans. I'm a I'm a big fucking Duncan Sheik fan. I've and seen now, your Spotify playlists, your private <laughs> playlists. There's a lot of Duncan Sheik on there. Um this album specifically, uh Phantom Moon, I believe is um an album that he just did music for, and then he worked with a poet to do lyrics, and then he took the poems essentially that this poet wrote and applied melody to them and worked them into um the songs which is an interesting approach for a guy who's like always set before and since then done like write everything you know from first thought to the what you hear on the on the record um so that certainly creates some interesting um scenarios like this where like you might get some um storytelling that like seems totally out of left field compared to what you're used to so i don't i don't i, I can't find something specific to mr chess but like um is this a top like a top five duncan cheek song for you musically yes not lyrically there's just something about it that like I love some brutally heavy music. Like I love fucking Mudvayne and Slipknot and like just, you know. Oh, I know. That's why some of this playlist that kind of threw me off, especially uh, one we're getting to, the, <laughs> number four. The only thing that for me, what makes, like dynamics is everything. Heavy is only heavy because it's hits harder and it's more aggressive than what is quieter than it. It makes me sad when there are people who only listen to a very specific kind of music. And I get why they listen to that because it's like, well, this is what I like. So why would I listen to everything like this? But it's like, it's kind of a yin and yang type thing where like, you got to have the sweet to appreciate the sour and vice versa. So like, 
there's so much stuff like this and musical stuff and like film score stuff that's beautifully orchestrated and dynamic and chill and somber and sad and heartfelt. And that my love for that makes something like people equal shit by Slipknot hit so much harder because it's in the context of all music, not just like other metal. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I just feel like a lot of people limit themselves to like one genre or just a handful of bands and you're like missing out on so like, in my mind, good music is good music. Artistry is artistry. Obviously, it has a lot of different iterations, but um, I don't know. This song kind of just like has. If I didn't, if it, if the lyrics weren't in English, it just gives me a certain feeling that comforts me, um, that I've just always really enjoyed, and it kind of evolves throughout the song. It's a very short song, but it evolves from like this acoustic guitar thing, and then halfway through, it just goes to all like grand piano and strings. And I feel like the Fiona Apple song has a very similar thing where it's just like, it's a song that evolves. And um, I think that there is certainly with the next song that we're getting to, there is, I like dynamics. I like evolution. I like throwing some curveballs. And um, yeah, I just, I like Duncan Sheik as an artist. I, I truly love everything that he makes. And just, there's something about this song that has always resonated with me that it makes me happy. Although there's like a sadness to the song. And yeah, I just think it's fucking gorgeous. So that's why I put it on there. Yeah. I need another listen to this for sure. And, and get in deep into that catalog. Yeah. And again, for our listeners, if you just search all rock podcast play, uh, playlist, they'll, this will pop up. People will be able to listen to that. Yeah. So, all right. Number three, <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I'm going to let you down. This is the one, this is the one. God been, damn it. Uh, right. For me. <laughs> And I, I'd imagine, I think you said you were like touring with these guys. So now I'm yep. going to insult your friends. No, nope, that's fine. I, no, but um, I, I am actually, this song is by far. So the new album hasn't come out yet. And the yeah. lead singer of Sleep Token was kind enough to share the whole album with me. Never listening to this podcast. No, he's not. No, I do have uh, some thoughts on it. It's not I, like I hated it. Yeah. I'm, I'm um, curious. Have, had you ever heard Sleep Token before this? I had not. No. Okay. Okay. Um, for the first few seconds, I thought it was a song from my list. Um, I did like, yeah, I did like the hardcore riffs in there. I also liked that there was a random, what I thought sounded like a Genesis style guitar solo in the middle. Yes. Yeah. I, I would have, I would phrase it the exact same way. In fact, I okay. think that this song sounds like Peter Gabriel, who used to be the lead singer of Genesis. It's like if Peter Gabriel was in a yeah. metal band, <laughs> okay. including the end of the song. So I don't continue. I'm so yeah, glad that it's you like, phrased it that way. Cause that's exactly what I would say. It's like a, I had describing it. It's not like I disliked it. It's just not for me. Um, I like, like it's, i looked at it as like a big rock opera in the end. Again, just one time listen through, uh, it was just too much going on for me. Um, just went in so many different directions that yep. I can't really, see myself ever listening to it again i will say it was like an adventure <laughs> going through the song it is almost seven minutes long it goes from like electronic to like brutally heavy like eight string guitar genty face punch level like heaviness to this like elect like proggy genesis kind of thing back to the super brutal thing and then there's this like minute long lull kind of like suspense building lull but very mellow and then it goes how would you describe the last two minutes of the song space rock 
I think it's like I think it's like funky. Like I think it's like galactic. Almost I, no, I, I I don't think it's I I think the the build up to the funk part is galactic. Okay. It literally I sounds like like of, phaser yeah. beams like <laughs> but then when that last part kicks in, it is like soulful and it's so unexpected. Um I don't know. The first time I heard it, I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> like just so did not see that coming. And still every time I listen to it, when that part kicks in, I'm like, God damn, this fucking is so cool. And it is also very reflective of the album as a whole, which has not come out yet, but there's, they've released a bunch of singles and just like the diversity on this album truly showcases that like the lead singer, I think is, is a savant. And I think that this song um, showcases that. And uh, yeah, just in, just in terms of it being like, super different and evolving and throwing curveballs and stuff. I just, I figured that you might at the very least find it interesting, if not enjoy it. Uh, but I'm so sorry to have let you down. No, I definitely found it interesting. Okay, good. And uh, I, I, so I do no. have to say that like touring with sleep token, like um, incredibly nice guys, especially given all the shit that was going on with like our tour bus and like, we got thrown so many curveballs that there could have been countless reasons why everyone became like bitter assholes. And they were just an absolute joy to tour with. And I consider them all friends and I've stayed connected with all of them and um, seeing them thrive and succeed yeah. has been a, a personal joy. And like seeing this new music come out and see how, how it's being embraced in the, in the music community has been really um, just like, I get like a, a compersion type joy out of just seeing their success. So it's been great. Oh yeah, not that I'm trying to cover my tracks here, but there's also a huge difference between music I would say is bad and music that's just not for me. Like totally. again, just because I don't like Ted Lasso doesn't mean it's not a great show. It's just not for me. Dude, I can say that about so much country yeah. music. Like there's country music where I can be like, this is dog shit. Like this is immature, yeah. poorly Chat written. G Chat GPT obviously wrote this song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's other stuff where I'm just like, this is rooted in something that I'm culturally not connected to, but I can feel the emotion. Um, and I understand why other people like it. So yeah, I totally get that. There you go. So number four is black hole by Griff. Yeah. And this as you probably guessed, this one surprised me the most. Yeah. So not our usual genre. I wrote down my initial reactions were I had two. I like her, the unique quality in her voice and it made yep. me want to go like, look up who the singer is. She doesn't yep. sound like other kind of pop starlets, even if it's very poppy. Yep. And then I, I just kind of like, I'll watch any kind of crime thriller movie or anything like Jason Statham's in directed by guy, Richie. I'm always <laughs> here for a great breakup anthem. Like yeah. just give me a great breakup anthem. I'm probably in it uh, as for a song. And that's, yep. this was like a great pop breakup anthem. Yes. Um, super random. I saw her, uh, I had no idea who she was. I, most days I start my day with like, I come downstairs, I make coffee and I watch Colbert and Seth Meyers. And typically I'll just watch their monologues and a closer look. And for whatever reason, like, like I don't know, I just, a lot of times musical performances on late night shows sound terrible. And I think you'll see a lot of bands say that as well. Like it's that and Saturday Night Live are some of the like most challenging ways to like sound the way that you intend to sound. There was something about her visually from that Seth Meyers performance. I was like, I'm going to check this out. And then like 30 seconds into the song, I'm like pulling my phone out and like shazamming, like, holy shit, this is super good. 
Um, so her performance is really good. I think the sound is unique for pop. She does something that Duncan Sheik does really well, where it's like relatively happy sounding music, but like super satirical, biting, like piercing type uh, lyrics. And she pairs them together well. They're like, if you didn't speak the language that the song was in, you would just think like, oh, this is like a dance anthem. Everyone's happy. But then yeah. when you really listen to the lyrics, you're like, holy shit, this is like, it sounds kind of happy. And it makes me want to like move, but also like it's rooted in heartache. Okay, um, I think the last song on my playlist yeah. is like very much of that yeah. same. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. yeah it's great. Is really, this is really fun. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. So last and I was, so I've obviously the two artists I was not familiar with were Sleep Token and Griff. Um, so fifth one is Broken Piano by Frank Turner. Yeah. Uh, familiar with Frank Turner. And he's always one of the guys who I'm like, I, I, or one of the artists I'll listen to like a song. And I always say to him, it's one of those, I always say to myself, you know, I should listen to a lot more Frank Turner. Yeah. And yeah. then three months go by and I have completely forgotten for whatever. Totally reason. guilty of that as well. I, I, I totally get it. Yeah. Yep. My my reaction was I love again I'm a sucker for slow building ballads that explode yep. at the end. Yep. Um, not like where a lot of songs open with like an acoustic segment of 20 seconds and then sure. go loud, but like yeah. slowly build at the end. Yep. I'm also a sucker for any kind of British singer. Yeah. Sure. Um, and it reminded sleep me sleep token. A, yeah. There you go. Apparently not. <laughs> It did remind me of a great new artist. I did not include in my playlist, but you should check out a guy by the name of Sam Fender if you okay. have not heard of him yet. I have not. Sam Fender. Um, All right. Yeah. That'd be cool. great. Um, but no, I, I definitely like this. And it just reminded, it, it kind of reminded me like I should listen to more Frank Turner. Yep. I, I love the grit in the voice. I love anyone like that. It sounds like a guy who you would, you stumble into a pub in Ireland or something like that. And you're like, I'm not leaving this bar till this guy is done. And I'm going to buy all the CDs from him. For sure. Sounds like that kind of performer. He has a party vibe to him. Like a, almost like dropkick Murphy kind of like, oi, oi, oi. Like literally like drinking music. Is he Irish or British? I I don't even know. I think he's British. I could be wrong. Um, This song makes me cry. Like this album, Tape Deck Heart is the name of the album. And like, um, I do think it's his best album personally. Uh, A lot of it has to do with like, where I was at in life it was right before I moved to Austin um, that this album came into my life. And it's thanks to Andrew Pauly, our, our mutual friend from the advertising world. Uh, drives, introduced me to this uh, album. 2012 North American car of the year. Yeah. Proudly Elantra. Yeah. I spent new years with him. So it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful time out in LA. But um, this album is just, um, I think it's a pop folk, I guess you could call that masterpiece. Sounds right. I, I think it covers an unbelievable spectrum of energy and tempos and moods and topics. And this song is the album closer. And um, there's just something so dynamic there. There is also like a storytelling aspect to it, which is that you mentioned coming into this talking about storytelling. And there's definitely thong, like songs on your list that I like specifically because of the storytelling. And Frank is a very like, I think that is the folk aspect of Frank Turner is that he tells a story. He has lyrics that are like um, resonate with me without being, I I don't want to say too poetic. Like they're understandable without being super literal and direct. And the production is wonderful. And 
this particular song is very like moody and mellow that crescendos into like a big explosion. But compared to the other stuff on the album, um, it's super mellow. And I don't know, it just like holds a particular soft spot in my heart of like a, a kind of a, a very sad time in my life that if the sadness didn't happen, I wouldn't have moved to Austin. Like I needed a lot of shit to fall apart in my life to motivate me to leave my comfort zone and everything that I knew to start this new chapter in life. And Frank Turner, this specific album was kind of the soundtrack of that time period. So it just, it was always kind of had like a, a soft spot in my heart. And so I'm glad you like it. So it's my approach to the playlist is going to be a lot of like compared to the other songs on the playlist, just given the like lack of frame of reference that I had other than knowing your general taste in music, but like there was no format for this. A lot of my feedback is based on how I feel about an individual song compared to everything else on the playlist. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Go for it. So you start off with identity by Bush first song. Um, Definitely my least favorite of the playlist. Um, I sh- can we, can I ask, were you familiar with all the artists on the playlist? No, I'd never heard of gang of youths. Okay. But the other ones. Yep. Uh, de- gotcha. like, um, very, so you have Bush third eye blind gang of youths, death cab and the 1975. I mean, incredibly familiar with Bush, very familiar with third eye blind, never heard of gang of youths. Um, I, I know every single death cab song. And then there are 1975 songs that I, really really enjoy uh but i have never sat down and listened to like full albums gotcha so bush and this is from the new album right yeah yeah let's get into it you can't hurt my feelings because i reveal why yeah i get it can we agree that bush is super capable and like have shown us multiple times that like they're capable of doing incredible work and then turds like they can do both yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, maybe, maybe you wouldn't say turds, but like Golden State, yeah. I don't is not a good. Yeah, album have you heard more? Opinion. Have you listened? I mean, do you remember more than Machines, the lead yeah. single off yeah, this yeah, album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, what do you think of that song? Oh, so the production on this song and this album is maybe the best. It's immaculate. Yeah, like it's so Crazy. good. In yeah. fact, that's part of the problem that I had with it is that it sounded like a really heavy, well-produced band that Gavin Rossdale is singing with, and it almost creates um friction it's almost like uh, a dichotomy that i can't get on board with like so like so especially like the bridge it's just straight up like if i just started listening at the bridge and didn't hear gavin i'd be like i want to say i wouldn't say breaking benjamin but i'd be like this is a modern hard rock band and i'm expecting a totally different singer to come in so not only is it gavin that comes in and I've, I feel like I've heard Gavin put some fucking like stank on his vocals before, like some growl. And it just seems totally non-existent in the song. So it just seemed like the emotion of his singing did not match the like really awesome, heavy, incredibly well-recorded, well-produced nature of the music. And it's also very repetitive. And maybe that's even intentional. Like Bush by design is not a super complex band, but like, the vocal line just keeps going over and over and over and over again. So I am in general, a Bush fan. I can absolutely acknowledge the production value of not only this song, but the album as a whole. Um, but I did not love the song mainly just cause it's kind of, it's like heavy, but boring. And if it was with a different singer, I think it'd be better. So this was the only one of my five that I don't personally like. 
So we're in agreement <laughs> okay. there. Okay, interesting. Um, the only reason, this was my uh, evangelical song. This was my guess at what you, Dave Perry, would like. Uh, so I guess I failed in that regard. Why? why this why is actually, you, okay. if um, podcast listeners know, I did my top five albums of the year to start start the year. This new Bush album was my favorite album of the year. This track is near the bottom, but I just thought listening to, I don't know, just trying to guess. Like, you know, you go on, like, you listen to nothing more, and then you go listen. Spotify puts up, like, similar bands, and I yep. listen to some of those. I was just trying to guess what heavy metal Dave Perry likes. And this, <laughs> I think, has the heaviest riffs of any songs on the album. Totally. So it's Agreed. just like, if, if I can't get Dave in with more than Machines... Or Slow Me, which is a very melodic kind of Bush song, which sounds like it also could be on pop radio. Because yep. I was between choosing maybe that one that I personally love. Like, I was just trying to be like, I bet Dave will like this because it sounds super heavy. So that was my reasoning for putting it on. So I was trying like, to get you into the new Bush album with a song I thought you would like, not one you, I personally like. You don't need to, like, convince me to like it or to, to check no, out the experiment. album. Like, for it's sure. just an experiment for the... <laughs> Shit. So, like, I'm, I'm looking at yeah. the track list for The Kingdom, which is the last album that Bush came also, out with two years ago. Yep. Same producer. Also, is that the same producer? Fucking love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Tyler Again. Gates. Yeah. The guy Super who, yeah. high level of production sounds, in my mind, sounds better than anything Bush did in the 90s and early 2000s. And The Kingdom is, like, I think Kingdom was probably top 20 songs that I listened to in 2020. Um, so, like... I there is an equation here that works for me with Bush in terms of like this like newer heavier version of Bush and like how Gavin Rossdale's voice works with that yeah. new you know it doesn't sound like Machine Head super at all. heavy super well produced I mean yep. we're a long way from what what you know Razorblade Suitcase where Steve Albini was like yes. recording it on a tape deck or something yes. you yeah know? <laughs> yeah exactly so I, it it. There is stuff that Bush is doing now that I like. This is just yeah. not one of it. But musically, your heart was in the right place. That like this is a it is like a heavy, hard rock song, just with like the wrong singer. So okay, and this was yeah, this was my attempt to try to recruit you. It sounds like I don't need to. I could have put the Kingdom on here, and you would have been like, yeah, this is great. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So why do, yeah. so why don't you like the song as like a big Bush fan? Uh, lyrically, it does nothing for me. Uh, it's I, it's, yeah, it's like, the, it's a little too over the top with, uh, with the riffs and everything. It's, it almost is like trying over too hard a little bit. Okay. Okay. Um, but man, I just, it, you know, and you know me well, like Bush has really come on in like the last five, six years and probably yeah. become my favorite band. And a lot of that is the kingdom. Again, Spotify doesn't lie. The kingdom was my most listened to album in 2020 and 2021 oh so there's shit. just something about this new iteration of yeah. bush that i'm in love with yeah and this album just did the same thing for me like one of my favorite songs on there you know you can you can spend your free time however you like but there's this almost funky song called shark bite on there yeah. that has like kind of bizarre lyrics it's kind of fun in a way that bush is rarely and just fun melodic super but super heavy at the same time it's like yeah. whatever this algamation is i am totally down for sure and yeah. i'm going to see them at, at the end of february at a brand new venue in chicago i'm super stoked so like nice yeah what's really the venue and, and who are show. they playing with it's called the salt shed 
uh, and Silver Sun Pickups are the opening band. Nice. I yeah. just made friends on Shiprocked with Breaking Benjamin's tour manager, and they just did a tour with, it was like uh, Alice in Chains, Breaking Benjamin, and Bush. And right. this dude right. sang Bush's praises in terms of like, everything about them was like, totally professional, smooth running, easy to work with, great performers, good tour mates, like everything about it. So that was, well, they were the, they were the openers on that. Tour yeah, yeah, too. yeah. And it was really cool reading the, reading some interviews with the band and Gavin just being like, Hey, we're just treating it like we're a new band and we've got these, you know, the two new albums out there and we're just trying to make yeah. it happen. So For sure. they're not, you know, you know, they're not just doing like the greatest hits thing by any yeah. means. Yeah. You have, really I mean, cool. first of all, I think the, while I would not, count those as the same genre, the Venn diagram of like people who like modern rock music, modern melodic hard rock music, like breaking Benjamin and then stuff from the nineties, which is very inclusive of Alice in Chains. Although Alice in Chains is definitely much heavier than Bush. Like Bush definitely is in the crossover area of the Venn diagram. That being said, it's entirely possible, especially with younger people that there's a lot of people there specifically to see breaking Benjamin who don't, you know, quote, no Bush, but then like Glycerine and Machine Head come on. They're like, oh my God, this band. So yeah, like, no, this, yeah. it makes sense. Um, yeah, so it's a cool, it, it was a cool lineup. Cool to see that and really great to hear from the tour manager that like Bush was on the up and up. Yeah, um, I can't wait to see them. Like I said, sir, this this latest album, The Art of Survival was my favorite of last year and I'm still like getting so much out of listening to it. When's the last time you saw Bush? Uh, like three, four years ago, but it was an amazing show at the Paps Theater. Yeah. And it was a Sunday night and Gavin came, you know, he's, you know, he talks to the crowd. He's like, I love these little Sunday night shows. Sure. It was a really small crowd. I mean, I don't even think the upper deck and the Paps was oh, shit. filled. It was really oh. small. I was in like the 10th row center and they played pretty, they, at the time they played pretty much a greatest hit set, which I liked. Yeah. Um, but we talked about this on a previous podcast. I like knowing the set list ahead sure. of time. You yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm equally stoked that this is uh, the tour they're on now. They play like the major hits off of, of 16 Stone. Sure. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But they're doing 10 songs total off of, which is half the set list off yeah. the two new albums. So it's 50% oh, cool. songs from the last two years. Yeah. But that's because um, the kingdom came out in the middle of COVID, like 2020 in COVID. So they never got to tour behind. Yeah. It. No so tour support. Kind of no tour support at all. Time. Yep. Totally makes but sense. This is, just, this is nothing if uh, a Bush podcast, so we can move on <laughs> to the next one. So second favorite song in the playlist, wounded 2008 remaster by third eye blind, which I know that's your fucking, those are your boys. Um, always be number one. Bush is one B. Sure. One B. I like that. So, before we even get into the song, talk to me about it's the 2008 remaster. When did this song come out? And do you think the re I've seen a lot of bands do this older bands, like re-release an album that's like remastered or whatever. How do you feel about that? And how do you feel about it specifically in this case? Um, the remaster is a total non-factor as, as someone who owned the original album blue, which this came off of 1999's blue had it on CD, obviously first day, listened to it thousands of times. Um, was there a big, was there no, a big single on that album? Never let you go. Okay. Um, and deep inside of you was like a ballad. It was on some movie soundtracks and stuff. Not quite as big of a hit. Um, this actually played on, uh, a commercial for domestic abuse. Um, like a, for a national hotline. 
because um, a lot of the, that's what the song deals with. Um, Interesting. Is a, a friend of his who was sexually abused. Damn. Um, I could see that. I mean, like thematically, like, so this song and part of the reason why I like it so much um, and part of the reason why I like a lot of the songs they put on your playlist is that it evolves. Like I, identity does not evolve at all. The Bush song, the first song, no evolution. Wounded, not only does it evolve, I feel like there's a lot of like jammy uh, kind of brings up maybe a negative connotation, but like it's something I wish Bush did more of like, don't have to treat verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus so right. formulaically. Where it's well, like, I love it's how it opens with chords. like these beautiful harmonics, yeah, which you don't hear enough. No, and then opens with it sounds like it's opening into kind of a love song the way he's singing it, but then there's definitely and there's multiple segments where it rises and falls and rises and falls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's I, I had not heard this before. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Did you pick up on the weighty lyrics of, of what's going on here? I, I would say 70% of it. But you tell me You only me listen that to it once, right? Yes. Like, that's what I was mentioning yeah. on your playlist. It's not always really fair. Like, I only really listen to the songs in your playlist one time, and yeah. that's the first time I'm hearing them. So it's hard yeah. to pick up on all that stuff. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, but like the emotional feeling that I got from it, the energy I got from it, the production, the, it's just an interesting song. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's, it has a lot of the elements that I and many people like of third eye blind, um, vocally catchy wise, tempo wise, but then also it's a, I think it's a much more free form artistic contribution from them as opposed to like jumper and oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I really liked it. It's, it was, it is a song that I will be going back to and listening to more. And, and frankly, it is something that makes me want to listen to that album more to like get into the deep cuts. Um, yeah. Big fan. I, I thought it was cool. Yeah. It's my favorite production. I think on any third eye blind song, like oh, it just Eddie. sounds like a, yeah, it just Good. sounds like nice. a million bucks. <laughs> it does. Um, it sounds really, really great. It is a very yeah good sounding song. And this is kind of it, both of my, the first two songs were attempts to kind of evangelize you over to my two favorite <laughs> bands. So I put them both at the top, but the difference <laughs> is identity. I was guessing on something you'd like that. I didn't personally like myself Sure. and wounded is like a top five third eye blind song for me. Cool. Not only that, but like I'm a member of all these online groups and people who are like far even crazier than I am. And Wounded is like canon. It's like Third Eye Blind canon. Um, the band acknowledges it too. It was never a single, but it's never not been played at like any live show. Never. Um, it's just, it's, it's automatic. And yeah. I love, as we mentioned, how the song has kind of different movements to it. Yep. I just love how like it kind of crescendos with the lyric. And it, the lyric gets doubled at this point, or the vocal gets doubled at this point. Back down the bully to the back of the bus, because right. it's time for them to be scared of us. And it's like, like that. that moment on the song, that moment live, it's just like everything I love about the band and Capsule. Okay. I definitely like, I couldn't have told you, this is hard to describe. Like I didn't know that verbatim moment. that that song is in it, but I could tell you that that feeling is undeniably in the song. If that makes yeah. sense. Like I yeah. felt that way, that kind of energy coming up. It is, a, it's a fucking great song. Like it's, it's, 
super good. Do you know uh, has a lot of bands, Foo Fighters being one of them, have consistently worked with the same producers for like stretches of albums? Is this uh, is that the case for Third Eye Blind with this album? No, they they definitely switched it up for the sophomore album. Like the debut, they worked with Eric Valentine, who's yeah. like a mega. If you just Wikipedia the dude's name, it's one of those that yeah, a hundred thousand bands yeah. you you can't believe. Yeah. Um, and then with the success, they decided to take it in house with this one. Oh. Um. So it's like Stephen Jenkins self produced on on Blue. Really. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. So it's uh it's an in-house thing. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, big fan. So ne- All right. So I got a lot to talk about on this next one, but I'm yeah. eager to hear your your interpretation. All right. So never even heard of like not even in passing. I don't even yeah. know if they're a current band. Are they? Gang of Youth? Yes, very current. Yep. Okay. Like just it talk to me about yeah. not the song, the band before I dig into it. Yeah. I can't wait. Um so this <laughs> There, this is not the latest album. This is their the one before the latest. Um, but and speaking of the Spotify Wrapped, get this, Dave. Three of my top five most played songs in the last year were by Gang of Youths, off the new album. Okay. But I again, I I you know I guess I had my own kind of reasoning for choosing the songs. I just thought this would be the best one to like get you into the band quickly exactly what we talked about earlier like if i had to choose a radio single i would choose this not any of like the songs that i fell in love with over the past year okay um so this i'm i'm getting to who they are in one second okay (laughs) i promise but so the the newest new album uh is actually a concept album about uh the singer's father died so it's like 14 songs it's an hour long almost every track has to do with his father dying Okay. And then after his father died, he wanted to learn more about his life. And he realized a lot of what his father told him was a total lie. And he learned that he had siblings he didn't even know about. So this album is a trip. Okay. But a lot of the songs like get into that material or they're seven minutes long. So I just didn't feel like that was the right place to start you. Sure. It started you on kind of like this big rock track that kind of feels like a Kings of Leon track. Sure. Now, who are they? They are massive. <laughs> They are massive in Australia. Okay. So the, the Austra- Australia has its own version of the Grammys, and okay. you can bring up their their Australia Grammy nominated list. It won't even fit on your computer screen. They've won like five Australian Grammys and were nominated for like eighteen others or some ridiculous number, like seven times platinum in Australia. Um, and I'm aware of them twice now because I've read like articles. Like in Rolling Stone, it's like, this band is about to break in the U.S. Okay, that was 2018. I mean, they have, like, I'm looking I'm, at their Spotify. They have 1.8 yeah. million monthly listeners, and yeah. Pretty Top big. Song has 93 million. Yeah. Second Song, 64 million. Fifth Song has 40 million. Like, they're, yeah, they're But legit, that's, like, sure. mostly Aussie because they keep being promised as this band that's going to break through in the U.S. I've read multiple articles. Adam Duritz from Counting Crows is like one of their biggest fans. He sings back up on the new album and is like being out there being like, this is the next great rock group, but they just cannot connect with a U.S. audience for whatever reason. So that's kind of who they are. I've read these. Yeah. Uh, Sleep Token, exact same thing. You can tell so I'm Sleep, passionate. <laughs> Sleep Token right now. Is, so the, the pundits have been saying this for a while of like Sleep Token is about to erupt in the U.S. and it's like still not happening. And they, they were the 
opener to the opener. So it was like sleep token open for nothing more open for in this moment on the tour that I did. And now they're doing, and this is four months later, they're doing a sold out headlining UK tour in big, big venues. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those UK, cultural Europe, differences yeah, yeah, are just yeah. so amazing to me. I can't get over them. So that's in a nutshell. It's like this band that's huge in one country and keeps being promised to be huge here uh, just hasn't happened for whatever reason, the wrong song or not the right moment, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, they're kind of like a silver chair that never broke in the U.S. <laughs> okay, cool. So this goes back to the thing that I was saying about like, I didn't take each song for what, I mean, I did listen to each song for what it is, but I have to compare it to other songs in the playlist. So it's like identity is boring wounded is like emotional and awesome and has like structure, but also like a fair amount of like jamminess to it. And then in my mind, the heart is a muscle goes over like, like too crazy, too crazy. Yeah. And it's, it is I the too crazy. And I'm using air quotes is like, I feel the emotionality of it and like what that means and where it comes from. But like, there are just certain parts of the song. It's like, this literally feels like, noise makes it sounds like um, demeaning, but it sounds like something that you would do during the demo process of like, all right, during this part, it's just gonna be like, la, 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 yeah. like crazy, crazy, crazy. <laughs> and then like, and then yeah. go back to the, and then they just kind of left it at that. So wounded has like these um, like ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys. Like a plan. And like, it feels like it has a plan. Yes. But, but a plan that goes beyond the structure of, of what you expect from popular Western civilization music, which I really appreciate. Um, the heart is a muscle is cool. The core of it. I really like, and I even like that. He's like the heart is a muscle and I want to make it stronger. I like that. That is, I get that. That, that, I, I, that resonates with me. There's a lot of stuff about it that I liked musically. It's an, it, I liked it enough that I will listen to more of their songs. I didn't enjoy the song as a whole. Cause it, it really does just kind of go off the fucking tracks for me a few different times where I'm just like, I rein it in just like a little bit. Like it just, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? So I was on, I was on the fence. Cause I, I was like, I really want to introduce Dave to gang of youths if he hasn't heard them before. And I was like, do I go with this kind of like three minute, you could hear this on the radio or the first song on the new album. Again, that new album I can't get enough of is a seven minute song called you and everything that walks step by step, like the process of burying his father. Like I love it, but it's definitely a song that you have to listen to like, 10 times to like sink into it. I want to, the, maybe you're not seeing it. There's actually a lot of parallels between sleep token and this band. I, and I know I'm definitely, cause we had kind of the same feedback. There's just like, there's so much going on in this song. Sure. Like, and this, and this song, the song that I sent you, it was the first single off of this album. So like same thing where it's like almost too ambitious and something that doesn't adhere at all to like what you expect of popular rock music it's not bite-sized it's not consistent it's not genre specific um so i i I think this is good i think i think that maybe it's an entry point for both of us into these two bands to like dig in and get a little bit more out of it yeah for sure so the the new album's called angel in real time i suggest if you want to give it a shot like start there start with start with the latest one that i became like addicted to and for sure just no it's it's good headphone music that you're gonna have to like I need to carve out like 15 minutes of my day sure. to like concentrate yeah, sure. on this. Yeah. All right. So next right. song is Cath yeah. by Death Cab. I'm given the rest of this playlist, I'm under the assumption that you didn't think that I was very familiar with Death Cab. 
I knew you were familiar with like Duncan Sheik and Toad the Wet Sprocket. I thought I remembered you being in into Death Cab, and I thought that'd be fine because what I wanted to talk about here, if you are very familiar with this song, is just why more bands don't do just fucking amazing storytelling like yep. this. Yep. It's so, so different than like a break, even though I admitted I love breakup anthems. Yep. This is like a movie in three minutes. Mm-hmm. It's, I like this song. It's a great way of saying it. about bringing you to tears. It. Like, I just, I can't express to you how much I love this song. I don't, I don't, you probably can't say it. I literally have goosebumps thinking about this. <laughs> so this is hands down my favorite Death Cab song, bar none. Like, not, yeah. nothing's even a close second to it. So, like, everything about it, um, the way it starts, the guitar riff as a guitar player, like, this song is in an interesting tuning the the way that it's a lot of the songs, especially in like the Death Cab singer songwriter folky indie kind of genre, is pretty straightforward, like three or four chords or whatever. Uh, the guitar parts are intricate. When the drums come in, it's this drum part could have just been like a doom 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 doom, but instead it like works its way around the toms, like do 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 doom 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 like there are so many interesting musical things about this song in terms of layering guitar parts. Uh, drum and bass uh, incorporation, the way all the parts kind of dance around each other um, that, just to start with. And then, yeah, the, I couldn't agree more that like the storytelling of this song is not only great, it is something that I can personally relate to too. It's like seeing someone get married for the wrong reasons, specifically because Western culture really pushes us to get married and that it prioritizes stability insecurity and it, it encourages to be risk averse over pursuing your passions and taking risks and knowing that love can be finite and it can also be tumultuous and sometimes you got to weigh out like is the is the amount that i enjoyed love while it lasted worth the maybe lifetime of mourning that i have to deal with after it ends and i think that this song gorgeously <laughs> Like it's such a fucking yeah, good this song. This song dude. is like, art. It's this yeah. is art. The reason I started this podcast is I don't give a shit if anyone ever listens to this, <laughs> but I just love this stuff so much. It's like I got to talk about it. I got to get it out there. I love. I love. It makes me very happy that we both enjoy this so, song so much. So as a journalism major, and just you're given all these books on writing, how to write well. Like this encapsulates it in the sense that the line that you're always given is "show, don't tell." Yep. Like show don't yep. tell like yep. a much lesser song or most songs would be open about how she chose the wrong man. Like she, she's making a mistake. That's telling yep. showing is saying she holds a smile. Like someone would hold a crying child. Yep. Just mo- moment of silence for that yep. fucking line. <laughs> what more do you want from music? I, I'm for, the first couple of lines, Kath, she stands with a well-intentioned man. Like, I know so many, I know so many very close personal friends that have been divorced in their twenties or like going into their thirties. And a lot of that comes from what we think we should be doing with our lives and familial pressures and societal pressures and stuff. And like something feels frankly good enough that you're like, Oh, this should. Right. I mean, like I feel none of us know like what the fucking benchmark is for like, um, oh, this is love. This is the rest of my life. This is my one. This is my soul partner, whatever you want to fucking label it as. But like, I know so many people that 
went through this and then are no longer with that person. And in almost any of those scenarios, you have to assume that there are these ancillary side characters that came from previous chapters of their life that maybe are viewing your marriage during that time period or their marriage um, and thinking similar things. And I, I was one of those ancillary characters and like, it's, I don't, it's just, it's a, just a gorgeous song that really taps into their, his own like personal strife, but also like something that I think is very relatable and um, yeah, just. But the last sorry. point for me, yeah. you know what this takes us from a great song to one of the greatest songs? What's that? Is the, the final outro. Again, an, a lesser song would, would have some kind of attitude where it's like culture tricked you into this. Yeah. You were so dumb for falling for this trap. Yeah. Of course this happened. Look at the mistakes you made. Yeah. There is empathy at the end of this. Like yeah. I think genuine empathy. The whispers that it won't last roll up and down the pews. But if their hearts were dying that fast, they'd have done the same as you. Yeah. And I'd have done the same as you. Yep. He has actual empathy for this person. It's not a ha ha like or or like culture got you or of course we see this a million times. What another sad case. Yep. There's it's so rare. It's so rare to end they could have ended the song before that. Yep. Very well said. Incredible. I I couldn't agree more. I absolutely I just I, <laughs> I totally should have ended with this one. Although I do I personally <laughs> and love it. Then you the take a one. giant yeah. shit with yeah. this last song. <laughs> Um, so right, let's, I, let's go to the last one. So I was introduced to the 1975 with chocolate, which I think was a single for them. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's even kind of like a, not throw it. It's a, I'm trying to think of it. Piffy makes it sound hollow, but just like, yeah, it's like it's cotton a song candy. Of, yeah. It's a song about like yeah. fucking smoking it good weed. when it's yeah, on like, your lips and then you yeah. forget about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, kind but I, I mean, I, but I, I mean, I love it. Like it's for what it is. It's yeah. incredibly well done. I, I have, do have a specific reason that, for kind of yeah. pairing this with death cab. Right. Go so ahead. Do, yeah. I actually, I want to, I want to hear that. So oh, okay. in general, like I like, I like 1975. I want to listen to more of it. This mm-hmm. song makes me want to dig in deeper. There are yeah. elements of it. I didn't love, but in general yeah. it's, it's hit a lot of checked a lot of boxes of like, okay, this is good. Well, a little tiny bit like Gang of Youth, it was really difficult for me to choose one song, but even more difficult with 1975. There are like legitimately like 10. Again, I, I guess on this one, I was guessing you weren't familiar with them. Yeah. And uh, there, were like it, this, there were like 10 songs. I'm like, which one do I possibly choose to introduce this band? Yep. There's not like that one song that I'm like, this will get someone hooked. It is definitely, I should make up, if you have time or the will, like put together like a 10 song <laughs> playlist. Yeah, to yeah, get yeah. Through. Um, second point, one of my big complaints about rock music in this era is like, I always complain, I can never think of like a modern rock band that compares to what came out in the 90s or early 2000s. And I'm kind of forgetting one, in my opinion, getting a use, um, but two, I think 1975 are the best rock band formed after. 2012. Uh, and the reason for that is I really truly believe Maddie Healy, the lead singer and lyricist, is the best lyric writer of the last 10 years. Wow. I'm not putting him above anyone who came before. I'm just saying of the re- of the bands who have come along in the last 10 years, he is by far the best. And not only that, his stage presence is incredible in a way that you don't see very often anymore. 
where it's like a ton of confidence and he actually has like, I don't know whether you call it an act or a shtick, but there's something above. Thank you guys for coming tonight. We just love our fans. Like he has an attitude. He has an aura about him. He's a great lyricist. And I guess I ended up choosing this song because, and actually to criticize someone I love, you, you, you made a good point. Like Gavin, his vocal delivery and identity really does nothing to lift the song above yep. where it should be. Yep. Matty Healy will change his intonation. He'll change how he's singing things. And in Change of Heart, it's about two jilted lovers uh, parting ways. And he sings it like in that tone. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't just sing a song straight through every time. Yeah, he, He'll sure. take on different characters. If the, you know, in this case, he kind of sings with, a bored indifference because that's what the song calls for. Not because that's his vocal delivery. Yeah, um, for sure. And it's hard to just be like this one song, this proves he's the best lyricist. That's why I think I need like 10 <laughs> songs to prove it. Sure. But there are just a couple of couplets in this that I'm like, this is why I'm going to select this. Um, he's singing clearly about a girl who is a little uh, over her skis, so to speak, who thinks <laughs> she's a little bit more intelligent and worldly than she actually is. And it's going to sound lame coming from my lips, but that's his talent is like when he sings these lyrics, it really just stings in a way that is impossible to speak. Then the two examples are you were coming across as clever. Then you lit the wrong end of your cigarette. Somehow he makes that rhyme in the song. Right. I did. And then my favorite. That that actually did. That was the one that stuck out the most to me. um, My favorite is your eyes were full of regret. And then you took a picture of your salad and put it on the internet. (laughs) I love, I love the 1975 and I, uh, this was just the one song I felt like I, I have to choose one. So I'll put that, this on there and include those lines and just kind of set it up the way that I did for you. So this might seem maybe petty is not the right word, but like, how do you, you said one of the best rock bands, how do you def, like, what is your parameters for rock? Because like, especially based on like chocolate, like in my mind, these, this is pop. Like this is like five seconds of summer, um, not necessarily Coldplay. It has more edge than that, but like, it's not like in my, it's good. It is not rock music. So I'm just curious, like what, how do you define rock? I think most, so my, if I have to choose one, my favorite 1975 song is called sex. I know. <laughs> same, same album as chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably the closest thing anyone's ever delivered to like another Mr. Brightside. And I, I just don't know how any other possible way that song is not pop. Um, okay. And I need to put together a playlist for you. And I Dude, think it I, proves my point. It. This is yeah. one of those bands that I do want to dig yeah. more into. And it's easier if it's like, I would rather listen to 10 because we have such enough of a aligned music sensibility yeah. that like hearing your 10 favorites will be better than me picking through yeah. multiple albums and stuff. Just, yeah. God, he's so, he can be so sarcastic, so biting. I think the lyrics set it apart and like pop to me just means it's a throwaway. Like Max Martin made it Kelly Clarkson or someone is singing lyrics. They don't mean anything. I hate to sound like a pretentious asshole from the nineties. Like music needs to mean something, man, but just his delivery, the, the lyricism of it. Um, so what, what, what would you, what would you call, songs, what, yeah, what would you call Duncan cheek? Singer songwriter. Okay. So I was going to say that's maybe that's the qualification is that, Singer, songwriter, pop, folk. Yeah. 
Like, I don't, I don't to know. To me, sex it's like rock with you. pop yeah. elements, which okay. is slightly different than like pop with rock elements, which is yeah. be like five seconds to summer. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also no manufactured aspect to 1975. If you read their origin, they started out as like a British emo band and have kind of evolved into this. I mean, now they fill arenas, so they essentially make arena rock. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just watched a great, they just recorded a new live special from Madison Square Garden that you can watch in its entirety for free on YouTube and um, just great Fuck stagecraft. Yeah. And yeah, they're great. Awesome. Well, I would say, I mean, as a whole, enjoyed the playlist. Definitely makes me want to dig deeper into a few of those artists. Um, yeah, I, I think you should keep doing this with like future guests and stuff. May, maybe give it more structure. Maybe don't. I don't know. I don't know if it needs structure or not, but like it's very clear that you were trying to introduce me to stuff and that was not yeah. my intention at all. Like but I you know, knew I that you knew Fiona Apple. I just wanted you to make, maybe hear a song yeah. that you hadn't heard with something that you're familiar with. Yeah. I don't even know if I realized it till the end of this, that I was like, I'm like, I want Dave to like all the stuff I like. <laughs> How, what's the best way to go about that? And I chose yeah. different routes. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So this was awesome. I had a lot of fun. I hated it. I couldn't wait I, to. I can't this tell. That's why done. we've been. That's why we're going an hour forty two minutes. <laughs> but, yeah, man. Uh, it's it's good to talk to you yeah. again. And like, um, I I'm sure by the next time we talk, like I said, I'm going to Nashville on the nineteenth to work with this producer that I really admire. And like, I, I obviously I'm biased. I think this is going to be an, an enormous year for me musically, and I'm very optimistic about uh, what lies ahead. And also, I'm just always down to have these conversations. I'm glad I'm on, along for the ride from my podcast studio. Fuck yeah, man. <laughs> All right. Have a great night. I will talk to you later. All right, man. Talk to you soon.